Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Paul Fowler. I serve as our Lake Forest campus pastor. So glad to have you all here on this Palm Sunday. Would love to have you back on Easter. Senior Pastor Mike Woodruff will be speaking. We'd love to have you here from him as well. So the question that's supposed to determine whether you think as an optimist or a pessimist is to be found in this. Is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Now, I always think this question is kind of weird, and I consider myself an optimist because logically I can agree that the glass is half empty and half full at the exact same time. And the second reason I think it's weird is because who's sitting around philosophizing about a glass of water? Just drink it or don't. I don't care. I think a better test of who's an optimist or a pessimist is probably found in how much gas you have in your gas tank right now. Is half a tank of gas too much, too little? What about a quarter tank of gas? Can you go that far? I'm an optimist. So to me, even if the gas light comes on, I know my car says, hey, you got 25 miles left. You can keep going. So yesterday, my gas light came on. It said 20 miles. I made it to church and back and to the grocery store. And then I got some gas and I survived. You see, we do the things that we do because of how we think. And so whatever you think about different things is what you're going to do. And there's many different ways that we can look at this in life. For example, think about your relationships. Are you maybe a saver or a spender in the relationship? Or maybe just in life by yourself as you think about it. Are you a saver because you think, well, look at the markets and how things are going, or you have some retirement goals and what you want to do? Are you a spender because, hey, I worked hard for this money. I deserve to spend it. These are all the different things that we do, but it's all based on how we think. Are you an on-time person or on-time is when I get there? Are you a clean by taking everything out and organizing it or clean is just put it in that drunk drawer? It's just gone. I can't see it. These are all the different things that we do that honestly can make life difficult at times, working with other people, uh, being roommates with other people, married to other people, dealing with kids, right? Because they think so differently and they do so differently. But we do the things we do because of the way that we think. Now, from here, what we could do is really go into a place where we talk about everything happening in the news or things that are happening in politics or the different social issues that are happening. People think the way they think, and because of that, they do certain things. But rather than jump into that whole mess, I think what's more important than anything else that we think about on earth is how we think about who God is. And what I think is very interesting is I think we're kind of at a moment which perhaps has been going on for thousands of years since Jesus was here, that how we think about life and what we do kind of shapes how we think about God and who he is. Rather than allowing who God is and what his word says about him to shape how we think and how we live in this world. In some sense, have we turned the equation to God is who we think we want him to be because of what we're dealing with in our lives rather than what we think about our lives is all based on who he is and what he's done. See, because 2,000 years ago, a large crowd gathered and they're waving palm branches and we're still celebrating it today. But the reality is they didn't actually know how to think about who Jesus was and what he came to do. So my hope today is that we can accurately think about who God is based on his word from the story we find in John chapter 12. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible under you. It's 1065 if you want to turn there. As we consider who Jesus is and how we rightly need to think of him if we want to know how to live in this world. In John chapter 12, verse 12, it says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him. 
Now, I'll stop there. I think the question we should ask ourselves when we're studying this passage is, all right, why is this crowd running out to see Jesus with palm branches? What are they thinking? Why are they doing this? Well, we know that they're here for a feast, the Passover that was coming up. But if you look ahead, look above in verse 9, it says why this crowd is so excited to see Jesus, why they have these palm branches. It says in verse 9, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. You see, the crowd has just heard, and what happened in John chapter 11 is Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. Lazarus has died, and so Jesus goes and sees him, and he raises him from the dead. It's this shocking, amazing, incredible miracle. And so the crowds who are supposed to be in Jerusalem for the Passover hear that Jesus is coming. They're so amazed by this miracle, and they run out there with palm branches. What do they do? What do they say? Look at verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, whenever you see a little indentation in your Bible there like that, maybe you have a footnote that's right there in verse 13. What I want you to do is to stop and figure out why is it like that? What's that saying? Because usually what happens when you see an indentation like that, that means that the publisher of the Bible is saying, hey, this is a quote from somewhere else in the Bible. So if you look down at the footnote there, you'll find out that verse 13 is actually taken from Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. So whatever you want to do when you're studying the Bible, well, you want to go to Psalm 118. We're not going to go there today. You want to read through it, figure out what's happening. You want to read verse 25 and 26. So for me, I read all of Psalm 118 this last week. And what's amazing is it's a passage that's about God's enduring love. It's a passage about taking refuge in God. It's a passage that comes to a point where it's saying, Hosanna, which means to save or or save us or savior. It's an interesting word there. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But you know what you don't find there is that next line that we see in verse 13. Blessed is the king of Israel. You see, when the people see Jesus coming in, they think about everything that's happening in their life. They're not saying, save us, give us salvation from our sins. They're saying, save us from the Roman oppressors. We're tired of being oppressed and the injustice. And so when they see Jesus, he's exactly what they want him to be, not what exactly they needed him to be. Throw a little Bible verse on there, add something else to it. And so Jesus is what they want, not what they needed. They were confused. They didn't actually know what Jesus came to do. The story continues on there in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, in my Bible, there's a little indentation there. Perhaps you have a footnote. And again, what are we supposed to do? Where does that come from? Well, if you look there, it says this is taken from Zechariah 9.9. So for me this week, I went back and I looked at Zechariah chapter 9, and I looked at this verse, and it kind of gives more of a picture of why Jesus is riding in on a donkey. It's a symbol of meekness and humility. But what's so interesting is if you keep reading, what you find in Zechariah 10 is that there's this good shepherd who looks upon the sheep with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. If you know the story, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, that's the exact thing that he says. He has compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. You keep going further, you get into chapter 11, you'll find that there is this good shepherd who is actually going to be sold out for 30 pieces of silver. This is the exact story of what's happening to Jesus Christ. 
So from this one verse, we get this whole backstory, this whole theology, this whole prophecy about everything that's happening in this moment. But what's the response? Look at verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The disciples don't get it. They don't actually understand exactly who Jesus is and what he's came to do. The story goes on, verse 17, the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him up from the dead and continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. Everyone's excited to see Jesus. They're looking for another sign. They saw a miracle. They wanted more. That's why they're shouting Hosanna. Verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees, as usual, the bad guys in the story, perhaps the ones who had the most biblical knowledge of the crowd or anybody else in this story, they don't even get it. They can't see who Jesus is. They're jealous. They're upset because of what Jesus has done. So what's so interesting, here we are 2,000 years later. We still are waving palm branches. But if we made the same mistake that's happening for the people here, that they don't actually know who Jesus is and what he's came to do. I think what's helpful to try to understand what's happening here is if you turn the page there, if you're in the Pew Bible, in verse 47, I think we get a big picture of what we need to understand and how we get this right to accurately think about who Jesus is. It says this, John 12, verse 47. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. You see, what people get wrong, what people don't understand, is Jesus came to save. He came to be the Savior. He spoke what the Father had told him to say. He's not here to condemn us, but we condemn ourselves when we don't listen to his word when we don't actually read and understand who exactly Jesus is and why he's here. When I graduated from school and I was living in the city of Chicago, I lived in the uptown neighborhood. And one day I get off on the train and there's this guy selling these paintings of all these famous people. And I saw this one that looked like Jesus, or what I thought Jesus looked like. And so living in an apartment with four single guys, I thought this would be great. The place looks terrible. It's a a lot of black leather furniture and dishes in the sink, but we need a painting of Jesus. This is really going to help us. So I was going to go buy this painting, uh, asking the guy how much it was for, but then I got this weird thought in my head. What if Jesus actually came down and he went and looked through my house and there's no artwork up but this one painting of this person? And he says to me, who's this nicely manicured golden locks person here. Uh, It's you, Jesus, right? Like looking in a mirror. You see, what's so interesting about that story is it's easy for us in everything we've been through in life, everything we're going through in life, all the sermons we've heard, the churches we've been to, all these different things, that we start to kind of amalgamate this weird image of who we think Jesus is. But is it possible we've created someone that doesn't really exist? someone that we want, someone that covers all our problems and our solutions and how we think about everything that's going on, but not someone who we really need. 
So today I have three things for you that I hope are helpful as we try to understand who Jesus really is so we know how to live in this world. The first is this. If you think that Jesus came to make your life more comfortable, you're going to be disappointed. If like the crowds, you think that Jesus came to make your life more comfortable, you're going to be disappointed. You see, what this crowd got right is they're thinking Psalm 118. They're saying, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they turn it into their own agenda based on what they're going through in their life. It's very easy to do that. Throw a Bible verse on something and just say, oh yeah, Jesus is exactly for what I'm going through right now. What's so interesting is if you look at Psalm 118, is they're right to bring out palm branches, celebrating the king that's coming in. But what it actually says to do next is to use those palm branches to bind up the sacrifice. You see, because our ultimate need more than anything else we're going through in life is we need a savior. Our biggest problem over anything that's going on, and I know a lot of you are going through very difficult things, is we need a savior. We need salvation. We're separated from God. That's the primary thing. But now what do we think about everything else that we're going through and all the stuff that we do and the different issues? And I agree, there's a lot of stuff now that's hard. How do I communicate to, this, to my kids? How do I work with others? How do we live in this world? It's tough. I get it. But if we want to understand how to live, it starts with accurately thinking about who Jesus is. You see, what's interesting over the last number of weeks, we've been studying John 13 through 19. And the thing that comes up again and again and again and again is this command to love one another. Love one another. That's the way in which we live. We have to see Jesus accurately for that. You know, because what we see Jesus do in chapter 13 is he's going to get down on his hands and his knees and he's going to wash the feet of the disciples. And what's so shocking about that is you think about all the people you deal with in this world, some of which perhaps you'd say, how do I live with them? How do I love them? Jesus demonstrates this incredible grace and mercy when he even washes Judas's feet, one of the disciples, a total enemy of him. You see, we have to think rightly about who Jesus is. He's the sacrifice that offers us salvation. And then if we want to understand how do we live with everything that's happening in this world, it's found in that command to love one another. Now, perhaps we could say, well, that's uncomfortable. It was also very uncomfortable when Jesus died on the cross for us. He's showing that he is love. He's showing that he is service. He is showing us, you can do this through the power of my love for you. And I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's hard, but we have to get this right. Otherwise, we're going to be disappointed with everything that's happening. We have to understand. Jesus did not come to make our lives more comfortable. He came to save us because he loves us. The second point is this. If you like the disciples, don't think of Jesus' death and resurrection when you think of Jesus. You might be confused. A few days later, the disciples are all going to scatter and run away when Jesus is arrested. And he, the disciples weren't under any you know, pressure of actually being arrested themselves. But they run in fear. They're confused because they didn't know that this was the plan all along. Even though we know we read the story, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm come to be the sacrifice. They're confused. They don't get it. They're not thinking that this is the plan. And so they run away, which is amazing because after Jesus dies and he's raised to new life, what do they do? Many of them would go on to be crucified themselves, be arrested multiple times. It wasn't until Jesus died and rose again that now they understand exactly 
who Jesus was and what he came to do. You know, this would be a very different religious belief if Jesus had been born in poverty and he raises up to be this incredible king that's very powerful. And then one day, instead of dying, he just goes up into heaven. Perhaps we could look at ourselves then and say, well, hey, do better. If you're not rich and powerful and wealthy and going up, ascending into heaven without dying, then you need to do better. But that's not the story. That's not the Savior that we believe in. You see, God's not up there in heaven saying, hey, good luck down there. I know it's bad. He's a Savior that comes down there to be with us because he loves us, to die for us. And you're going to be confused when difficulty comes in life because, yes, there is death, there is sickness, there is suffering. Perhaps you're saying, Paul, this is really unhopeful right now. But see, I have to get you to understand that our hope is in heaven. Our hope is not here that everything will always work out for you. But what the beautiful thing is, no matter what you're going through, you also have a Savior who said, look, I got this. I'm going to come down and be with you. I've had my friends die. I've suffered. That's the Savior that we have. Not only that, he gives us his Holy Spirit to be the comforter through what we're going through. Yes, there will be tough times. Yes, there will be difficulty. And if your hope is in what's here and how things will work out here, you're going to be confused. You're going to be disappointed. Our hope is there. The third group is this. If you, like the Pharisees, think that Jesus is just going to go away, somehow you can cancel him or get rid of him or ignore him, you're going to be mistaken. Here we are 2,000 years later in a church that has his name, Christ Church. We're still waving palm branches. To think that you can just avoid thinking about who Jesus really is and what he really came to do, you're going to be mistaken. You're going to miss out on what he has for you and how he wants you to live with everything that's going on here in our lives. So the challenge for you is if you're someone that doesn't believe or you're still trying to investigate who Jesus is, or maybe you can put in more effort, you have to go to his word. See, Jesus isn't here to condemn us. He's here to save us. But you condemn yourself when you're not willing to just try and read God's word. I challenge you, read through the gospel of John. Allow God's word to shape how you think about him so it helps you know how to live in this world. You see, we all have different ways of thinking. We all have different ways of doing. The optimists, the pessimists, those that save funds, those that spend funds, whatever it is and how you live your life. But the most important thing that we need to understand on Palm Sunday is we have to base our thinking of who God really is based on his words what he really came to do for us. You see, I know it's hard with everything that's going on in our lives, all the suffering and difficulties that we have, but you have a Savior who loves you enough to come here and be with you. A Savior who loves you enough to die on the cross for you. So if you want to know how to live, you want to know how to be, it starts with reading God's word. It starts with believing in him, that you might know your Savior more closely and dearly. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God who loves us and knows us. We we celebrate your life here today. We celebrate the work that you did here on earth, and we acknowledge that we need to listen to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us in all things and in all ways, that we would know you above all things. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.